You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast Network has led the podcasting space for the pharmacy industry. This network of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians leads the podcasting charts with more than 2 million downloads, 40 different stations, and new episodes every week. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is the number one podcast for the pharmacy professional. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and all your favorite podcast players. Join the Pharmacy Podcast Nation today. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, we are focusing on mental health in the pharmacist role, the state of mental health in America. Youth mental health is worsening. From 2012 to 2017, depression in youth increased from 8.6% to 13% of youth ages 12 to 17. And now studies show 2 million youth have severe depression and anxiety. Mental health in adults, but suicidal intentions and attempts has increased from 3% in 2012 of the population to 4% in 2017. That's over 10 million adults in the United States with serious thoughts of suicide. We're gonna be focusing on mental health in this series if you'd like to participate, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send us an email, publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. We thank you for your work as pharmacists, and we're here for you. Please reach out. Together, we can care for each other so that you, the hub of healthcare, the pharmacist, can care for communities across the nation. Some kids are returning to school with no with new social distancing guidelines in place, and others are starting off the semester remotely. But parents of students in both situations are concerned about the mental and emotional toll that the pandemic may be having on their children. In a May Gallup poll, 29% of parents surveyed said that social distancing and closures have been harmful to their child's well-being. Meg Oliver reports from Little Falls, New Jersey. Did you ever feel like you were depressed? Uh, a few times. 11-year-old Rocco Testa will be a sixth grader in Little Falls, New Jersey this fall. Over the last few months, like many kids, the pandemic took a toll on his mental health. It was just me being angry at the world and everything because, uh, because of COVID and stuff. Rocco has ADHD and some learning difficulties which made virtual school challenging. As his grades slipped, he began lashing out. Virtual learning has been a huge, huge blow to him, to his academics and his mental health. And not having the support and the teachers there to help him has been just detrimental. 
Rocco, who has type 1 diabetes, is now dealing with depression and anxiety. The Testa family is not alone. At the end of the school year, nearly 3 in 10 parents reported their child's mental health was suffering due to social distancing and closures. We're seeing increases in anxiety. There have been increases in calls to suicide and mental health hotlines. Kathleen Minky is the executive director of the National Association of School Psychologists. She said it's not just the pandemic currently affecting kids' mental health. There are problems with racism and violence, and so you really have a piling up of stressors for many, many kids. Why is it so important to train about children's mental health before you go back? If the student is not in a good place socially, emotionally, they're not going to be able to learn. Nikki Wong-Shing is a guidance counselor in the school district of Philadelphia. How bad did it get for some of your students in terms of their mental health issues last spring? What I saw happen a lot is this feeling of isolation, some stress too. There were family members that lost their job. And then um, some of the kids with things that were happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd. And that's really hard because we weren't there to kind of help them through that process. Millions of Americans suffer from a mental health condition and something that is surprising to me since digging into this is the fact that it's usually a comorbidity. It's usually someone that is suffering with another chronic disease state. My background, uh, this is Todd Yuri, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast, was addiction recovery and OUD, uh, opioid usage disorder, always had something tied back to behavioral health, whether that was uh, depression or um, a more serious mental disorder um, or something that happened to the to the patient or to the person in their in their in their past life or in their in their youth. And something that I thought was important to bring to the table and have pharmacists participate was a podcast and a podcast series that was dedicated to pharmacists focused on mental health. And our first podcast was with Dr. Monica Krishnan. And it's it's done a very well, it's a, it's a amazing, I'm gonna have it in the show notes, a very uh, great episode and in, in, I'm excited about the series. Today, we're bringing on another champion in mental health that believes in pharmacist position in healthcare in mental health. I want to introduce David Dent to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. So I tell you what, I am so impressed with you as a content developer, a fellow pharmacy industry content developer, and I don't want to spoil the the fun of, of having you kind of announce this to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, but tell the Pharmacy Podcast listeners about, about you and uh, your your um, amazing career in pharmacy thus far as a content creator as well. <laughs> That's an awesome introduction. I'm, I'm, this is my first time actually being interviewed for any of this. So if I struggle a little bit, you know, excuse me, but um, my name is David Dent. Um, I currently go to the DC School of Pharmacy um, in Richmond, Virginia. I'm a P3 student um, and I kind of fell into having a passion for mental health and advocacy when I, um, kind of went through my own struggles first year. Um, and a lot of it stemmed from my background of not really, I, I didn't initially believe like people could be depressed. I didn't think depression was a thing. I thought I was raised in a background where you can work through all of your problems individually and you don't need to seek extra help. Um, and I think that was 
kind of, I think that was one thing that actually kind of stopped me from getting the help I needed earlier, but long story short, and I'll go into more details as they come up, but, um, I ended up starting um, the Over Overdose podcast. It's overx.dose on Instagram. Um, and it was really like my first series was on mental health. And I wanted to share with people uh, just a real inside look of what that is and kind of break down the stigma surrounding it so it could help inspire other people kind of who were struggling the same way in pharmacy school or just really any other healthcare profession to realize it's something that's totally normal. It's something everybody goes through and it's actually something that pharmacists in particular and drug therapy can actually help. Um, so that's kind of where it all started with me. Um, and I, I've been putting out pharmacy memes and other things to make it more fun to listen to because I felt like at the time there were a lot of there were a lot of pharmacy podcasts out there and content out there, but it didn't have I didn't it didn't really fit me and what I wanted to. Uh, bring to the table. Um, so I felt like it should be at least in a little bit entertaining. So that's kind of the beginning of it all. Yeah, over um, and then it's O-V-E-R-X dot dose is the Instagram. I'm going to put this in the show notes as well. Oh, and thank I you. Yeah. Really, really enjoy this. It, it makes me laugh. It, it brings some enlightenment to the day and some humor to the day. Um, you um, are kind of a natural at it. And I think it's something that when I, when I see students um, as content developers and there's a pocket of you in the, in the pharmacy sector that I'm so excited to work with some of you. We just got done talking about uh, Dr. Chloe Givens and she was a content developer back in pharmacy school with Fast Forward Pharmacy and um, William Amarque, who's known as uh, Gonda Boy uh, PharmD. He was a content developer and of course now he's a, he's a, he's a PharmD, but I think I think what content development is doing for pharmacy students at the level that you are is it's teaching you to communicate. It's helping you exercise that communication skill through mediums and through mechanisms and tools that we all know our community and our patient and our society are already engaged in and are already expecting to get information. So rather than showing up on Instagram and seeing um, a woman in a in a great dress and she might be advertising for some boutique why in the world isn't there a pharmacist out there talking about the the mysteriousness of fibromyalgia or exactly <laughs> of of why does baby aspirin always taste like you know orange instead of mm -hmm. some other flavor but when i think of that i think of the overlooked aspect of healthcare and the newness of mental health and how one in five Americans based on information that has been sourced from several universities of, of medicine, including Sanford University, McWhorter School of Pharmacy, one in five Americans are currently living with mental health. One in six people in the United States are using some kind of psychotropic medication for problems relating to something mental health. And those psychotropic medications, based on what little I know, some of them are, are not absorbing and, and there, there's efficacy issues because your DNA is different than mine and you're absorbing things different than me. And this is, this is why this series, and this is why someone like you who has a perspective on this and a passion for this. This is why I really wanted to get you on, on the show. 
I th- and I appreciate that because I think it's I think everything you said kind of speaks to a few things that I noticed too, and that's kind of what rooted the beginnings of the podcast. Um, first thing being like pharmacists aren't very well known. Um, they're kind of the overlooked profession as far as like being considered healthcare professionals. And there's this huge fight for, you know, Medicare Part B provider status and being able to bill for services. But I felt like when I first started, there were, there's not, you go on Instagram and you see every med student pre-med who's shooting for the stars to be a doctor. Like from a kid, everybody is told, oh, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a firefighter. I want it. I want the conversation to include, do you want to be a pharmacist when you're older? And I think creating content that is targeted towards, especially now with COVID and, and other, other disaster after disaster in 2020, you get, you get more people struggling with mental health. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day. I hope everybody tonight lights a candle at eight o'clock to show some recognition, to sh- yes. uh, raise awareness about suicide prevention. Um, but there's just not a lot of visibility to the profession inherently because you have a lot of people like pharmacies just behind the scenes you're behind the counter you're thrown in the back of shelves you're in the basement of a hospital so i really wanted to get into the space of raising awareness hashtag raising awareness with an x is what i'm trying to get started um but um and getting doing that and then also eliminating mental health stigma by sharing my own experiences because it felt kind of counterintuitive that I didn't believe that medications could help initially. Um, Being a pharmacy student who was going to have to counsel and help patients through it. And also um, there's a lot of complications with psych meds that I wasn't even familiar with. I'm currently taking my psych modules uh, in my third year of school right now. So there's side effects. There's, there's so many things that pharmacists are well poised to be the, drug expert and are expected to be able to counsel patients on um, including patients who are in like immediate distress so it's it's relevant it's extremely relevant now with covid and it's uh, something i hope to raise more awareness on just overall and i think i think this um this episode will help do that i'm a glass half full guy it's just my personality and i can't based on being in pharmacy since 2004 i can't think of a better time to be to be becoming a pharmacist than right now yeah. because of the all of the interesting facets and opportunities that are now rising with the changes to healthcare as well as the boutique and the customization of healthcare and the designer medications and the designer therapies and the personalized therapies that physicians and f- big pharma and research organizations are realizing that most chronic diseases out there are also attached to depression and some other behavioral health issue. And when it's, when it's overlooked, what happens is, is patients fall off of their medications. And when I, when I think of psychotropics specifically, I'm going to have this in the show notes, but if, if, if you're a pharmacist, you're a pharmacy student, I want you to Google pharmacogenomic FDA. And when you Google that, you'll find a link from the FDA that gives you a list of all of the adverse reactions that are listed with some of the major medications that are the biggest candidates for a DNA test. So psychotropics is is leading the way in how many of the um, biomarkers and the labeling sections and the therapeutic areas that are being treated, oncology, psychiatry, anesthesiology, 
all of those. So I, so when I think of the psychotropics and I think of 13% of the top 300 most frequently prescribed medications in the United States are for mental illness and how prevalent that is and how important that is to make sure that a pharmacist, a pharmacist is the savior of healthcare, literally, because, and people don't understand, when your prescription is, okay, this is going to take 20 minutes, or this is going to take 30 minutes, or this is going to take an hour, you know, and people are like, why? You just take a bill, the, the, the pills from the big bottle. Just count the pills. Yeah, what? That's all you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you're I'm really good at counting by fives. <laughs> you're keeping people from dying. And so that comes to mind. But when I think of what you've shared already, uh, David, I'm thinking, so with all of this change and transformation in the pharmacy sector, what do you think you want to do? And, and obviously, there's so many things that could change because when I was starting my career, I started in telecommunications and I enjoyed it for eight years, but it became very boring. I can only imagine a, a pharmacist, a future pharmacist at your stage, when you look at the landscape, do you want to have a specific play in mental health when you, when you graduate and become a doctor? I would say I definitely do. What exactly that looks like, I think, is uh, is kind of up for, you know, kind of up for debate, and and I'm kind of undecided on where to go because I, my my initial thoughts coming into school changes every year. Um, I have I think I have shiny object syndrome where I see like a new disease state or I learn one new thing. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna just plow right into that, and then just do you know kind of go overboard and just start without, you know, thinking all the way through, um, which is one of my, my strengths as a, as a strengths finder and an activator. Um, but I, I definitely do want there to be some aspect of mental health in my career. And the, and I think what I would like to do is build up, um, kind of a community and an audience around the overdose, I guess, brand is what it's becoming. I don't know. Um, to share stories of, other pharmacists who are also like who are practicing and it's going to help and it would help people kind of figure out what they want to do after they graduate with the profession while also kind of humanizing the healthcare professionals and the people that you see behind the counter filling your prescription um because i think that's what's i think that's what's really lacking i think there's just a lot of disconnect between what the profession can actually provide and what the people who went through it are actually what they actually had to do to get there um just inherently so yes short answer yes um but what form that takes i'm not sure maybe i'll become a psych pharmacist maybe i'd like to go into get a second degree and become a psychiatrist i think i like talking to people um i think um yeah i think the doors are wide open and i to speak to your point on everything you can do in pharmacy there is a lot um i know currently right now like we've faced a lot of pushback from other professions uh, recently the pediatric society for being able to administer vaccines right. um, um and then recently i just saw that we can we're going to be able to give covid vaccines too um through an emergency order uh, or like i think i think just legally i got to look more into it but to like children uh too so i mean we're at the forefront of healthcare and the, and yet we're still seeing we're not seen as healthcare professionals by any by the public by other professions i mean maybe other professions and i think that's changing more recently but i think it's all going to take advocacy and just getting awareness about what the profession can do out there to the public um and whether that means you know 
offering side services like um like you know like boutique type things uh, or like non-farm i think there's just going to be there has to be a lot of innovation that inherently comes with becoming a pharmacist that i think we as a profession are particularly good at compared to others because we've had to kind of fight for a way fight for a spot at the table um in the last like hundred years while some other professions like doctors have been doing this for over like 250 or 300. So that's, I think direction is psych pharmacy somehow still using my platform to advocate for mental health and for the profession as a whole. Yep. That's where I see myself. We have a special partnership with RX Safe, which is a automation company that helps um, pharmacies to package medications, adherence packaging, so that your 8 a.m. dose and 12 a.m. 12 p.m. dose and 5 p.m. dose is all in one package. And they even nice. coach their pharmacy operations to put in um, even medications in in color, you know, coding. Yeah education and all, even even vitamin packaging where you have a depletion of a vitamin or of a vitamin because of a medication that you're on but i want to talk about medication adherence and mental health and here's the reason so patients with mental health conditions are typically they have low adherence just because of the nuance of of the mental health issue the depression you're depressed you don't want to get out of bed you just don't take your medications and reports of those patients on antidepressants therapy have shown that non-adherence rates as high as 56 percent and then patients with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder have non-adherence rates up to 62 percent and when i think of that we're talking about patients who also probably have some other comorbidity so in your in your interest in mental health and as someone who comes from a family that was surrounded by the same um attitude my dad and my mom and my uncles um mental health wasn't even a thing yeah or a so solve it yourself. Yeah, it <laughs> it's the, it's the old it's the older generation of you can exactly. you get back on your feet and you get brought that absolutely. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Stop being a baby. You know, stop being sensitive. All of that stuff, and that, we just grew up in that. That's just the age that, and I think we're finally. And it's funny, but my own family, we have depression issues in our family. We have major depression issues. I'm not suffering from depression right now. I did go through it during a, a divorce that really yeah. was, was bad and yeah. really felt guilty about my daughter and, and not having a, a consistent relationship because now I only got to see her once every two weeks. And I mean, I really had to deal with that. And I went to talk to somebody about that. But we're realizing now that the stigma that came with mental health disorders are keeping people from being well, number one. Number two, if they're diabetics and they're also suffering with depression and they're not taking their depression medication, they're not taking their diabetes medication either. No, they're not. That's the least of their worries. That's you're 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 leaving a lot of other potentially deadly diseases to just run amok on top of it. So it's oh it's it's such a hard issue. I think there's so many things I want to talk about all at once. Let me try and tackle them one at a time here. Um, Cause you mentioned I'm currently also not going through 
my de- depression, if you will. I'm, I don't take any medication now. Um, and, but I faced a lot of difficulty similar to you in, in, in that I felt like I couldn't really reach out to my family initially because I think, because I knew that they would have that same belief that maybe, you know, you can just get yourself out of it. So I think surrounding the stigma, you'll get a lot of different reactions if you try to reach out for someone if you're feeling depressed and you want to get some help. I think the first reaction you'll get is, um, ah, you're just in a rut, Uh, you know, it'll get better. Um, But the problem with that is sometimes you're so deep into it that you can't get your, you can't get yourself out of the the negative mindset. You can't, you can't just shake it off. Um, And I think that's, I think that's a huge part of figuring out if you are depressed or not. And that's like a big struggle is like, people are like, Oh, maybe I'm just sad. Um, But I think that stems from just not having kind of the education around it. And I think it stems from, again, the stigma surrounding mental health. People are afraid to admit it to begin with. Um, So I'm really happy you're able to share that with me too, because I think sharing what you went through is going to be the biggest thing to help somebody else get through it and actually seek the help that they need. Um, you might also get the advice giver. Like, I mean, the, per, the you tell someone you're sad and they're like, oh, well, let's just, you know, go play video games or come hang out and we'll just not talk about it and totally dismiss it. Uh, when someone's asking you or trying to confide in you in their mental health struggles, the last thing they want is for you to dismiss them and just say, uh, you know, just give you, give you their advice. Like they're not, they're not, talking you to seek advice they're talking you to just have somebody to listen to them because they've just been going nonstop in their head um that they're the worst person ever and that they think they're hopeless so yeah. i think I, th- I think that's like the biggest um the, the most common things you'll run into if you try to open up with someone but i also think it's so that's the that's the one thing that'll help you i didn't personally start seeking medication until uh some of my close friends Um, I was able to tell them like, I just don't feel right. Like something is off. I know it. Um, so they helped me kind of encourage me to get the medication that I needed to get started. But speaking from personal experience, I was one of those patients who experienced a lot of adverse effects. And the first time I went in to see a doctor about it, um, I saw a family medicine doctor who wasn't really I think they were pretty fresh out of school. They weren't really well versed in depression. And I, I was offered, I'm realizing now after finishing my psych model, module, I was offered, I wasn't offered a first line treatment option. So right there and there, right there is a good example of how like pharmacists, a pharmacist probably could have helped me because they would have been familiar with the treatment algorithm. And I'm sure this isn't to like say most doctors don't know that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm sure most are like most family medicine doctors are amazing and they have to cover a wide plethora of disease states. But I I was started on a medication that literally made me wake up every morning and I felt like my brain was locked. I don't I don't know how else to describe it, but I would look at myself in the mirror and I'd feel actually like a zombie or that I was insane. Like I didn't look I like didn't recognize myself. I think I was dissociating. But got off that really quick. Um, and then started, um, started on sertraline. I think it was low dose. It was like five, 10 milligrams. And the first two weeks, um, sucked. Like you don't see any improvement. You don't, a, a lot of times your symptoms can worsen or you get night sweats, you lose libido, you, you, you basically just feel like the medication isn't helping, which is why you get a lot of discontinuation. Um, and, and again, if you don't have a pharmacist who explains that beforehand, um, then you leave someone who's already depressed in a worse spot. So making sure you actually counsel on what someone can expect is important because if you do what I did, um, which was go to Dr. Google, 
to kind of self-diagnose yourself and figure out, hey, am I like, is this normal? You'll end up, you'll end up thinking you have schizophrenia when you don't, you know, and that's exactly what happened to me. I was depressed and I thought, oh, maybe it's schizophrenia. Totally wrong. I wish I went through my psych module earlier in pharmacy school so I can, so I could have told myself how ridiculous that was. But it's, it's seeking the right help is just as important as seeking help. Um, and I think that's an important distinction. I think that's where your pharmacist can come into play or, you know, ask me, I think the most rewarding thing that's happened to me since starting the podcast, um, and reaching out is I had, um, somebody reach out to me. They said, I don't know what to do. Um, I saw that you shared your experience and you're going through similar things. Should I start medication? Should I not? Um, how, where should I go to seek therapy? Um, and I was able to help them and, and they've, they've messaged me and they said they're on their medication and they're feeling better. So that's, I think that's like the most, that's the most rewarding thing I could ask for, for, for sharing my story and hopefully harping on the importance of pharmacists and pharmacy in mental health period. Cause again, you're the most accessible healthcare provider. You're on every street corner. You're more accessible than most therapists nowadays who have to, you know, schedule you into a telehealth meeting. I don't know. I think, I think, I think, there's a lot of opportunity for pharmacist involvement, especially when it comes to mental health and with the boom of telehealth that's kind of been taking over during COVID. Um, there's a lot of exciting opportunities there. Very true. I kind of want to hone in um, and get a little bit more personal with you. Uh, Kate Gaynor is the executive director over at the Iowa Pharmacists Association. She helped us to launch the Resilience RX podcast, which really talked about the the, 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 the buzzword called burnout and mm -hmm. a study done by and published on NCBI, which I'm going to put in our show notes. And it said that the results from the burnout evaluation shown that female pharmacy students had higher scores of emotional exhaustion and, and depersonalization while male students had higher personal accomplishment scores, which was consistent with findings from previous reports. Women are more susceptible to social desirability, more eager to face study demands, and apparently prepare more rigorously for examinations, all of which result in higher stress levels. It said burnout and its potentially negative effects during pharmacy undergraduate studies have been increasingly reported in literature. And it says, similarly, we detected higher scores of depersonalization among students in their last year of pharmacy of the pharmacy program. So this, this today's podcast, this is about not only the community at large and our 70,000 plus listeners at large, we need to hone in on our future pharmacists. And David, you represent our future pharmacist. You are a pharmacy. Wow. Future <laughs> so I want to dig into that. Tell me and tell us, tell our listeners, how does pharmacy school compound something that you already have in play, which is, you know, a, a, a stress level or, or something that is, you know, causing you to have angst or have, a, have some stress inside you. But now we compound that with $300,000 worth of debt on your shoulders in, in becoming a pharmacist in a marketplace that is, some people say, not me, because I'm a glass half full guy, they say it's saturated. 
farm yeah. by the way it's a side note it's not if you if you work different and you stand out and you do something you don't have to worry about that but nonetheless i want i want to give you the floor because as a pharmacist as a future pharmacist a pharmacy student you're experiencing this i never experienced that so you did so i want to hear from you on that I would love to share my experience because I've got, I could talk on and on for this, but I, first of all, I don't know if I, I, I don't consider myself like a future pharmacist leader by any means. I'm just a small guy who made an Instagram and makes memes, you know, but I, I appreciate it. Um, but I, I touch on the subject a lot because I think it, the study's interesting. One thing I wonder about is um, I think it's not, I think the stress comes not so much like obviously there's stress with the coursework there's stress with workload you you talk about switching to an online format now there's so much frustration and currently in school i think a lot of schools um and a lot of students have complained about the fact that you have more recorded lecture and more time per credit hour during these pre-recording lectures that you're expected to watch and listen to and actually less time in class learning because they've they've a lot of these classes have resorted more to a flipped classroom um but you're, you're actually seeing more time spent on lectures and more material given to us as a result of transitioning to an online format which has a lot of students who have already who already stressed out with some people not getting their rotations some people who graduate are going to be expected to be graduating later because some schools have literally have no option for them for preceptors because they've run out of all of their options. Um, it's just an incredible amount of stress on a personal level on top of the course load that's being compounded because of COVID. But I think the biggest driver of this stress is in something I really try to focus on and give you like a real picture of um, pharmacy and the perspective of a pharmacy student, what to expect out of the career going forward is I am I am a glass half full guy as well. I think as long as you can innovate and as long as you can stand out, you can make your mark and you can you can progress. But I'm also a realist in the fact that I hear countless stories of my friends and and graduates who struggle to get jobs, who see pay cuts happening. There's 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 you know every other month or so there's an announcement they're like oh this this hourly pay was reduced for this incoming grad. I actually tried to collect a little while. Um, some like income offers from chain pharmacies um, for new graduates because there was, I think like last year before COVID hit, there was like a, there was just like a max, a mass scare of Walmart firing 500 pharmacists. You see some organizations now trying to fire and um, like pharmacists because they just can't afford it because they have to downsize um, because they're a private institution. They don't get government funding from, um, to run their hospitals. So there, it, it's a very real threat. I think the biggest thing that also is driving pharmacy school um, applications down is one, again, not a lot of exposure on social media to show the good side of it or to show that the benefit of it and give it the prestige that it deserves. Two, I think there's a lot of other popular healthcare um, uh, professional careers that are popping up that require less school, less money, and you get more prescribing power. For example, PAs, 27 months, um, and you're out prescribing and you're making about a similar amount, 90000 a year. Um, so I think that is taking away and kind of help, like hurting the 
mental health of current students because they're comparing themselves to that and they're being like, wow, maybe I made the wrong choice. Um, but I think, I think the biggest thing really that people are struggling with and that people in school are feeling kind of um, stressed about is just the massive amounts of, um, you know, the massive, like the debt. The debt is a big, a big thing. And then you compound that on top of hearing about maybe less job opportunities when you graduate. You see that there's less applicants to schools that you actually attend. So you get worried about whether or not you'll be placed. And, and, and on top of that, the last few years, there were more pharmacy schools opening up because, of course, you see you can make money off of, you know, students going $300,000 in debt. So why wouldn't you? But that also created extra competition. Now you're pushing out more pharmacists. Um, there's just, it, I, I feel like the, the biggest challenge about pharmacists in general with um, being a student in school is you see other professions who seemingly have like a cohesive um, like unit and a, and a steady progression through school. We've just started doing residencies. Now they're talking about maybe adding a third residency year on top of your four years. I personally didn't even know residencies would be pretty much quote unquote, it's not required, but the schools are really pushing for you to have a residency. So it's another year of half pay when you get out of school for more specialized training, which inherently is a really good thing and really good overall for the profession, but it doesn't help quench the fear and the anxiety that comes along with graduating with a PharmD degree. Because now you're competing with more students with more schools opening up for less residency positions. And I don't even know what that's gonna look like during COVID. I, want, I, I, I don't know enough about it to know if that's been heavily affected, um, but when I'm already worried about people not finishing their APPE rotations, it doesn't give me a lot of faith um, that I'll be even placed in a residency or get a job after graduation. So I think, I th long story short, I think a lot of it stems from just the news that we hear in pharmacy, but I also think it's important to focus on not only getting a job after graduation, which is a prime concern for most considering the debt, but finding a way to marry your profession and innovate it with something you're passionate about. In my case, I'm trying to do that with the podcast and mental health um, and my passion for digital editing, social media, and uh, comedy um, with pharmacy. And that's how I hope to differentiate myself, at least um, in somebody's eyes. And if you're a potential resident uh, director and you're thinking of applicants, hey, consider David Dent. I'll just, I'll throw that in there. And I hope, I hope everybody gets the residency, residency that they, uh, they hope for. <laughs> That's a long answer. The recording that we did is on World Suicide Prevention Day, as you mentioned, David, uh, yeah. September 10th. Uh, this probably goes out the following week. As oh, man. <laughs> Forget about the timing. The Association of, of, of Suicide Prevention has been collaborating with the, with the WHO, the World Health Organization, to kind of study more about the prevention um, of, of suicide. And something that, that is interesting is they, they never really mention leveraging your um, you know, your, your pharmacist as a way. And something that we talked about on a, on a previous uh, podcast when we were talking about transforming the nation and stigmas 
was the the world that that we understand in rural America. I'm from Brownsville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And the nearest big town to me is about 25 miles uh, south called Uniontown, Pennsylvania. But right in my own community, the only healthcare organization that's here is Brownsville Family Pharmacy. That's mm-hmm. it. So wow. Wow. America, and I have three vehicles between me and my wife and we can get up and go to where we need, but there's lots of people that have public transportation or have the needs to uh, find rides. And when I think of suicide prevention and the inadequateness to address it and the taboos that go along with it in society as someone that's weak and the fact that we have to break those taboos and the priority that we have to reduce the stigma in order to even get past um, some of the the levels of depression, the levels of mental disorder, the levels of schizophrenia. How do we reach people who don't seek help? How do we develop and implement awareness campaigns that aim to increase awareness of suicide behaviors in communities? How do we decrease the shooter syndrome with with schools that have been attacked by people who have mental disorders? How do we target the efforts to reduce risk factors with those that um, that that have those protective factors around them that are very prideful, especially in childhood adolescence, um, or old age people? My father-in-law, goodness gracious, God bless him, hmm. he's such a proud man. He won't even take an aspirin. Uh, he'll walk around and we'll hear him moaning and stuff, and we'll be like, "Hey, Dad, what's going on?" And he'll be like, "Oh, nothing. I have a headache." And I'm like, "Okay." here's an Excedrin, you know, you could take yeah. that. And he's like, okay. And you have to almost force him to take it. So we're dealing with multiple things. I know we were focusing on pharmacy students and I know we were focusing on career pathing and different things like that, but kind of bringing this back to our, to our source into this, this series, which is pharmacists focused on mental health, proactive approach to this is crucial and as clinical psychologists you know they they practice very specifically they need to partner with pharmacists they and they we have to lower these we have to lower these walls i i I agree with you david i saw the pediatric people throwing up a stink about vaccines and the ama and all that bull crap did you see the recent one about trying to claim resident as like an exclusive um a title for a specific ed exactly um, employee that's just outrageous to me but also i get it i mean we're all fighting for a piece of the of the American pie, I suppose, but (laughs) it's just when you're, when you're knocking down other people, instead of utilizing your resources, you're only hurting yourself and your patients, which makes absolutely no sense. And we when we have 150, $150 billion waste spending on lack of medication adherence, I'll, I'll soak up a portion of that $150 billion all day long to get a pharmacist involved. For example, I just got done telling you about opioid usage disorder. Okay. Yeah. There's lots of organizations out there who keep giving methadone or suboxone or subutex and they just keep pumping the and they never they never really drill down into what's the what's the what's the word? Systemic or what's the real issue? I can't remember yeah. 
the the I think systemic will yes. Do. But what's the yeah. true issue? And the true issue is something probably happened to that person at age eight or three or 12 or 16 and they got stressed and they, they said, I, I need to get out of feeling this way. So what happened? They, they started to use their mother's pain medication that she got after her knee surgery. Exactly. And then that went to nothing and they couldn't get that refilled. So they went out and they got, you know, they got a stronger opioid, they got fentanyl or they got some other drug and where did that come from? That came from a mental disorder. That came from a behavioral issue. Like we, we're ignoring this and we're stigmatizing it and it's bullcrap. And we have got to come together. Psychologists, physicians, and pharmacists have to understand that the triad and nurses, for goodness sakes, the quad or whatever, we have to understand yeah. that the exhaustion, the pain, the hopelessness, the risk of, of further harm comes down to the stress related to the conditions around mental health. And I, I, can't, I can't stress it enough that mental health is a major issue that we all have to come together on and realize that it's probably attached to, I'll, I'll say, um, more than 50% of the other chronic conditions that we can't get under control. Exactly. And it's and the reason you can't get it under control is for a lot of the things you said. I think there's it's the only so far that I've studied um, disease state that is the DSM five is based on diagnosing via symptoms. It's not based on like a lab level. You can't get you can't get a blood pressure level and be like, that's class two depression. You know what I mean? Like so you have problems with diagnosing inherently even in the even in the medical profession itself. Now you add on trying to explain and open people's minds to the idea that depression which they were raised on as being something they could defeat just by outthinking it or by avoiding it and now we're changing the narrative and to be you know something that you can control something that you should seek help for and something you absolutely need some form of behavioral therapy to solidify to solidify your well-being um and i think in the last year i mean we've mental health has been a topic i've i've been you know preaching on for the last year it's been something podcasts always a lot of podcasts i listen to like mention so it's not a new issue i think that i think it's just something that is recently be, becoming more brought into light um and it's being really harped on i think the first step to actually getting people to seek help is personally connecting and sharing your story with somebody else. I do it publicly publicly because I'm comfortable. I'm, I've never been one to kind of steer away from harder to discuss issues. Um, but I know a lot of people aren't like that. And I know, and I know for myself who would want to share the worst part of their life to somebody randomly that they meet, that they just are becoming friends with. The first thing you don't introduce to somebody is, oh, hey, my name's David. I had depression in my first year. No, I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and you're certainly not going to get that in the rural parts of the, um, um, who struggle the most with it, with drug abuse. You think their, their primary concern is, oh, um, I'm feeling bad today. So I'm going to go, you know, I'll just go down to the therapy clinic. That's, you know, 3000 miles away when I can't even get, you know, I can't even get there. There's, there's, there's places in the world where they don't even have basic, um, like, uh, primary physician care. You get you get things like Ram Clinic, which I've been 
I've had the opportunity to be a part of. And you, you reach these people that only seek care once in their life for, you know, for their teeth or for, for, um, their once yearly checkup when they're dealing with all these comorbidities and other disease states that could lead to their potential death. The last priority, again, they're going to focus on their blood pressure and their glucose to make sure that they're, you know, they don't die from that. They're, the last thing they're going to be concerned about is paying extra money to deal with something that they believe isn't actually even a disease that ends up killing people because they commit suicide or they, you know, drop therapy that they started that was showing improvement because they just got lost in the system because there's, they didn't get any follow-up or they didn't have anybody there for them. So I think the best way, and I think it's, I think really the tides are turning now. I think this new generation, this, you know, the zoomers or whatever um, you've got a lot of younger generation paying attention to it and a lot of awareness going on, on apps that target younger audiences. And I think with the prevalence of iPhones and, you know, more people, being able to access just that app alone, um, it really will go a long way. I want to some some accounts that I've seen blow up in the last year um, that really focus on this that I that I really um, kind of want to just give recognition to is uh, Jake Goodman um, dot med. He's a he's a med student, MBA student. He's going to graduate, I think, this year um, with his MD. But he he does like fun TikTok videos about depression that give you like insight um onto like what the symptoms are so as a kid when you see that you're like oh it's a fun video but it's actually teaching you something important um i've seen i've seen another guy's name's md motivator uh zach uh he every one of his videos it's simple he's just pointing at text and it's saying hey i struggle with depression too or you're not alone his whole message is you're not alone and i think reminding people that they're not alone giving the content right at their fingertips that they are fully capable of taking of seeking the help they need you get these awareness campaigns um like this week um and this month for suicide prevention and then i think you just create the perfect storm to empower people to go seek the help that they need um additionally um if you're in school like if you're a pharmacy student you're listening to this and you're thinking hey i'm experiencing some of these symptoms maybe i should seek help um don't hesitate to reach out to your admin don't hesitate to reach out to your um you know your deans and your faculty because they got they've went through it before i felt like i I went through imposter syndrome i went through crazy social anxiety my first year i thought everybody hated me when i spoke i like i didn't feel comfortable because i my goal was to get into pharmacy school but when i got there i had nothing else to shoot for um so i just felt lost so but realizing you're not the only one who feels that way. And after I shared my story on my Instagram, I got a lot of personal DMs saying, Hey, I'm really happy you shared that. Hey, this is what I'm going through. Like, can we talk about it? Like the second you start opening up about it, you open a million doors of ways to help you get through it. And I think once you navigate and just open that door, it's a million times easier than just sitting there being like, I'll get figured out myself. Cause I guarantee you without a little bit of medication, to get you over the initial hump of depression and then cognitive behavioral therapy to cement your thought processes so you don't have to rely on the medication as much to keep yourself in your normal state you're not going to see the results that you that you are that you so desperately want and need and that your friends and family would love for you to have so uh, it, just just 
seek help when you need it, man. And I don't know, put, you know, you can make memes and look at memes all you want, but real help is only really going to come from if you actively take responsibility and seek it out yourself. And I think there's more and more ways just at your very fingertips to get the help that you need directly to your phone to in your hand. Right. Well, we know that um, everybody in in the United States lives within about two to five miles from uh, a pharmacy on average. Uh, they saying about 90% of our entire urban um, community populations and, and reach out to your pharmacist. If you, if you are a pharmacy student, a pharmacist, if you're burnout, if you feel depressed yourself, look to the pharmacy community first because we will help our own. We, we are a, not only a resilient bunch, David, but the pharmacy community wants to help each other. And I know we're here for each other. We have a trending um, hashtag on Twitter, hashtag TwitterRx. And it's, it's blown up, especially over the last six months. It's just completely increased and people using it and people networking and the increase in collaboration with each other. We can be here for each other first. And the Pharmacy Podcast Network wants to do that. So we are not, I don't have anybody on my staff other than our uh, 46 PharmDs that participate in content, but nobody actually employed here by the PPN that's a pharmacist, but we help pharmacists. We are helping owners. We're helping pharmacy students. We're helping um, people that are looking for research. And if there's a if there's a a behavioral health or depression or some other issue that you want to reach out to us, Ken Sternfeld. Hit, I mean, he broadcasts his his phone number all the time. I can't tell you the guy is on the phone from 7 a.m. till uh, 9 p.m. at night just with pharmacy students and pharmacists and just a bunch of people. We have to be here for each other in order to prepare us and prepare you, the future pharmacist, to, to be there for our patients. Because, David, you're going to be the only healthcare professional that's going to see patients that you're going to pick something up with that diabetic patient or that hypertension patient. You're going you're gonna to pick something up in counsel and you're going to look in the eye and you're going to say, hey, are you okay? Like, What's going on? And then all of a sudden they're going to break down. They're going to start crying. They're going to be like, I lost my daughter, you know, two months ago and I can't break out of this funk. And I, I feel like I want to, you know, end myself. And you're going to take them to the council room and you're going to set them down and you're going to maybe even make a phone call. But regardless, you're, you're more than the final check of that medication review. It's not just about the final check and making sure that that, that, that medication interacts with another medication and possibly could kill somebody, you're, you're going to look them in the eye and you're going to look that patient in the eye and you're going to look the community in the eye and that, and you're going to say, Hey, what's going on I'm with here you for you? Yep. <laughs> I'm here to help. And I think that's, I think to that point, I think it's extremely important too, that you have to be, I think a lot of pharmacists in general, um, like me, for instance, again, I thought I was above it. I know a lot of us say like a lot of pharmacists practice medicine, but we don't personally even take an aspirin for a headache. I think a lot of us have that kind of, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll get through it myself. I'm the medication expert, but, but we, we fall off when it comes to actually doing the steps we need to take care of ourselves. A lot of that comes from the burden of the job. A lot of that comes from having to sit with patients, all types of varieties and have that emotional kind of burden on top of the 
on top of the workload burden that just seems to be ever increasing. But that's why it's even more critical that pharmacists take the time to seek the help that they need. Um, and I know, I, I know people are listening to this and they're thinking, I don't have time. When am I going to be able to afford it? You're going to come up with a million excuses and a million things not to, because I did the same thing. Um, with and I, I was juggling a lot less than I know a lot of the pharmacists are right now. Um, but it's critical that you guys seek the help that you need and students seek the help they need early so they can be the best pharmacists they can be to deal with those patients. Hey, you are a candidate for doctorate of pharmacy, pharmacy student of the great Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, that's where Camille Schreier goes to, to yes, school. Yes, she was in my class first year. Um, she's And she's doing an awesome job um, raising awareness about the profession, um, combating opioid abuse and yep. drug abuse and medication Mind management programs. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And she, she's been on your show a couple of times. I've, I've, I love her to death. She's awesome. Um, she... Yeah, yeah. And she... she <laughs> and she... Um, I've just got so much respect for for her ability to like put a great face to the profession. And it's the one question every time I go on rotation, they're like, oh, VCU, did you know Camille? I'm like, yes. And I say it with pride because she's doing an awesome job out there. Right. Um, exactly. And I, and, and I hope she's, she's taking care of her mental health as much as anybody because yeah. she is, she's got a lot more pressure on her. She publicly. does. You know, she was the first uh, Miss America to have to take on double term yeah COVID. yeah so it's really interesting it's insane i was like we were excited to get her back and then we found out she wasn't coming back and we're like oh no we're gonna i feel like we're gonna be graduated by the time she's a first second right. year again Ugh. right wow well <clears throat> i want to thank you david for for your insights and your time and i i want you to understand that this is a a fraternity and a sorority for pharmacists out there who who come and go, who stay forever. Tony Guerra is our senior podcaster now and has been with us for four years now. And, 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 you know, anything that we can help promote through the pharmacy podcast, we know that there's other pharmacists, there's physicians, there's nurse practitioners, there's specialists, and there's uh, the intelligent patient that knows their stuff. And there is Google out there. So they're listening to this too. So if, if you ever need anything, if you want something promoted, you tap into us. We, we consider the Pharmacy Podcast Nation a family too. So just remember that. I really appreciate that, Ton. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. Um, I, I can't say how grateful I am and how excited I am to be interviewed for the first time. I hope I did an okay job. Awesome. Um, <laughs> and um, for anyone else who's listening and is interested, um, I think I'm really, I'm kind of going in the middle, going through the middle of a rebrand, I guess. I'm trying to tailor more of my content on overx.dose on the Instagram podcast to be really just tailored to raising awareness about the profession um, and with a focus on mental health. So if you're interested in that, um, consider giving me a follow and a listen and a like and a share and all that, you know, all that jazz. But um, it's been a pleasure. And Todd, I, I really appreciate you for inviting me onto the show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, David. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, a pharmacist focused on mental health with the one and only David Dent. Uh, he is a pharmacist, a future pharmacist over at the Virginia Commonwealth University. We're going to have all of his links in the show notes so that you can link up with him and you have to because you will get a kick out of his content. It's just 
Absolutely amazing. And we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. You did a great job. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.